0: good everybody welcome back to the pod week two recap here today got myself aaron and join with me once again we have joey how's it going
1: Uh, it's going pretty good coming off of my first week with a win it's always a good week when that happens not to mention going two and oh we'll take it
0: yeah you know must be nice to uh you know rack up that many points when you're uh not actively rooting to win but yeah just coming back with you to uh kind of go over these games this week and uh try to uh you know, kind of give a little bit of a preview towards the, uh, the upcoming week. So real quick before we get started here, uh, just a little bit of a commissioner note. I did go in and change the injured reserve settings a little bit. When we had that discussion at the beginning of the season or before it started, I made injured reserve slots unlimited because I didn't know what the extent of COVID was going to be on the IR list and especially with the holdouts and whatnot. But at this point, there was only a small handful of You know, people opting out for the season, and I think only right now there's one player actually on the COVID list, and so I've gone and I've reduced it down to six, which that still leaves you the four your normal injured reserve slots, and then that's two for COVID related incidents. Um, if I need to bump it up, I will. At the time of recording this, Trent actually has exceeded the amount of IR spots that we were allotted for you know injured players, and so just to kind of have a fail safe in place for that I'm just going to drop it down to six and change it, you know, as needed. But with that commissioner note out of the way, we can just, you know, hop right into the uh the breakdown starting with the San Diego Paladins versus the Winnipeg wendigos So starting off right over
1: with the Paladins, who took this matchup as of 752 PM on Tuesday. 187 and a half essentially to 185 and a half with Nick praying to the fantasy gods with his goat stash behind him starting right at the top the Paladins looking at Matt Stafford they traded for him with the Grovers and Matt Stafford was the best performing quarterback for the Paladins which was a nice start Sit decision very well done unfortunately he did only put up 17 points So moving forward, I'm sure the Paladins are hoping that he'll perform a little better after trading for him and giving him the trust to start right away. Um, Baker did look good in his Thursday night matchup. But like I said, Stafford did come away with the most points. Going down to his running backs, this core looked a lot better with Sanders in. Overall, scoring what seems to be about a little short of 60 points for a four-man total. That's really good. Edwards Hilaire, again, didn't have any touchdowns. So that was a little worrisome. He needs to find a way in the end zone. Nick Chubb looked fantastic. He and Kareem Hunt showed that they can find a way to both be fantasy relevant any given week, which was really nice. And then the Tariq Cohen start, this is back-to-back week nap. It hasn't been very bountiful in terms of points. Maybe the Paladins switch that up, see him on the bench and give somebody else a try. Potentially CeeDee Lamb, who looked very good using lamb to jump to the wide receivers tyler boyd also looked very good in that thursday night matchup he is making a push to be declared as cincinnati's number one receiver which we've seen for years at this point at at, essentially it's a 1a and 1b type of thing good there d hop we all know he started out the season much better than most people anticipated after switching teams should feel good there the spot that we've seen a little bit of worry from now is Alan Robinson only dropping 4.8 points in this past matchup and only 9.8 in the first matchup, especially against the Giants, of all people with a subpar secondary? I was expecting a much bigger game from A. rob And after an offseason where he got a lot of deserved hype, uh, he was relatively underrated heading into this season. Uh, the offseason, everyone was like, this man's done so well. He needs to get some more respect. And unfortunately, He's kind of fallen short on that. Uh, as well as Mark Andrews, uh, when Baltimore puts up 33 points, I expect Andrews to have a much better game. But that all being said, for a team to come out and get a dub with several guys, three particularly in the starting lineup, to have subpar games than what you'd expect, that's a very good sign. And then moving right on to his defense, uh, you saw a very nice performance from fred warner uh malcolm jenkins had a very nice monday night as well Uh, overall i think the defensive line we've talked about before looked a little weak but the linebackers and the secondary really picked it up for this team and aaron i'm sure you're hoping that uh nick's goats fall short this week and you stay with the
0: dub yeah i will certainly be hoping that's the case that monday night game i fully expected to lose if we're being quite honest because nick still had Jared Cook, as well as Max Crosby, and I only had Malcolm Jenkins, who's a safety, but Malcolm Jenkins, he really made plays when I needed him to, even though the the announcers were dogging him throughout the game, saying he was getting ran over by Josh Jacobs. All in all, I don't really disagree with anything you said. The Tariq Cohen pick was in the hopes that he'd you know, give me a solid floor with the injury to Michael Thomas, but ultimately... I would have been better off with CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Traquan Smith of all people. I'll definitely be taking that into consideration for future weeks. But moving on into the Wendigos, put up a pretty respectable 185 points, which I believe is eighth for own scoring for the week, which uh, this was a really high scoring, uh, scoring week. I think last year, like 170, 180 was good enough to get you to win in almost any week. Russell Wilson made me so bad that Monday night game. He was just absolutely dotting up the uh, New England secondary, which isn't typically normal. I just feel like they're typically a really good defense, but this new Russell Wilson is really scary. He is finally being given the opportunity to kind of air it out. He's getting more than 22 pass attempts a game, and he is making the most of it, putting the whole league on notice. Maybe this is the the rust for MVP season we've all been waiting for. Moving into the running backs. Josh Kelly, uh, Nick wasted no time in giving him the start after his solid week one, and he came out with 25 touches. That's pretty good for, you know, second game of his career. And just right behind him was James Robinson, who is very surprising to me. I kind of thought it was a bit of a an overreaction to, you know, go and pick him up on waivers in pretty much any league I didn't do it. But especially Nick put 75 bucks down on him, and now at this point, given how, Dominant Robinson has been in terms of the uh, the touch percentages in Jacksonville. I, I definitely think that that was a great pickup in hindsight. You know, it was risky given the the large amount of fab dollars that he spent, but he came away with you know a 19.5 performance against a pretty solid Titans defensive line. So definitely smart pickup there. Nick this week opted to go with the uh, the five receiver start strategy and didn't get crazy production for you know starting five. Uh, DJ Chark had a pretty Solid game, although, again, it wasn't overly impressive, 4-for-84. Corey Davis was pretty quiet as Johnny Smith broke out, but he did get a receiving touchdown to kind of save his day for fantasy. And then kind of the same deal with uh, Marvin Jones, only going 4-for-23 but having a receiving touchdown. Definitely, given the, the quality of the names on that list, you would expect more points if you're starting that many, but obviously Nick didn't know that was you know, going to be the case. And just like we spoke about with Davis and Jones, Jared Cook had a pretty terrible fantasy day, but he got bailed out by six-yard touchdown to come away with 8.3 points on the week. I know you skipped my kicker, but just have to put it out there that young Hoku balling out for 17 points nearly cost me this game. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say about that. On the uh, defensive side, Knicks linebackers, which I think are one of the stronger ones in the league at this point, they all had really good games. The lowest Point total that any of them had was seven, followed by eight and ten, and then the rest of his defense was a mixed bag, as both defensive backs and D line had a player score five points, a player score three points, and then a player scored less than one. So very, very hit or miss in the uh, the starting lineup. Um, there wasn't really a ton that Nick could have done differently. I mean, if he had started Jordan Fuller, I suppose at safety, you could say that he beat me, or if he had started Johnny Smith, but Jared Cook was just a safer play, and so I don't think Nick did anything erroneous with his lineups. It just uh, it just so happened that it wasn't enough to beat me, you know, pending stat corrections on Thursday, of course. All right, for our second matchup of the week, we had the Ascaro Spiders hosting the Denver Duckies. The Spiders were able to come out on top by a score of 164 to 147.5. Starting at the quarterback position for the Spiders, you would expect Deshaun Watson to have a much better fantasy performance than he did here today. He... Threw the ball 36 times, but it only panned out to 14.7 points. Definitely a little worrying, but especially with the Will Fuller injury and lack of receiving options outside of Brandon Cooks, um, it's something to monitor to see if uh, Will Fuller can come back or if he's going to be hampered as he always is. At the running back position, Jason did go with the four running back start strategy, starting his four studs. Uh, Mark Ingram had a big bounce back, even though he only had 11 touches. He had that nice 30-yard touchdown and scored the same amount of points as Deshaun Watson. Kenyon Drake had a pretty effective day. You know, he didn't score a touchdown, but he was good with his touches. And then Todd Gurley and Derrick Henry got a ton of touches, but they weren't particularly efficient with them, um, and neither scored a touchdown. So you would expect it, given how that shootout in Atlanta in particular, you know, you would expect Todd Gurley to get at least one of those touchdowns. So kind of concerning that here in uh, back-to-back weeks, Todd Gurley hasn't, you know, blown up on the uh, the stat sheet. Moving on to Jason's wide receivers, a pretty disappointing output all in all. Robert Woods would have had a terrible game if not for that five-yard rushing touchdown, and then Adam Theon and Julio Jones both didn't do much of anything. Julio Jones was just serving as a decoy for Calvin Ridley's blow-up, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. Zachert had an okay week, nothing to write home about. And then on the defensive side, Mainly buoyed by Christian Kirksey, who has kind of slid right into that Blake Martinez role of just racking up tackles, and then DeForest Buckner having another great game, had a 1.5 sacks in addition to uh, three other combined tackles, and then middling performances from most of his other defensive players, but none were horrible. So all in all, this was an you know average week I would say for Jason and. You know, some weeks he'd get the win with this amount of points. Some weeks he'd get the loss. It just so happened that here in this matchup, he got to go against the lowest score on the week.
1: Speaking of the lowest scoring team of the week, we'll get right with the duckies. Um, right at the top, we'll start with Drew Brees. I knew with Michael Thomas gone that uh, Breeze's fantasy production specifically you would expect to decrease, but I really was not anticipating this much. Uh, only dropping fourteen and a half on the week. And that goes for the entire saints offense a little bit of a tangent here especially uh, emmanuel sanders which we'll talk about later and jared cook which which we've touched on those were two guys that go leading into the matchup a lot of creators fantasy creators were pumping out content saying that these are could be potentially starts of the week could have really nice weeks and again any height for the weapons is going to go right back to Breeze. So I was expecting a lot more from Breeze in this matchup. It's a little disappointing. Hopefully he can perform a little better till Michael Thomas comes back. And I'm, again, still worried once Thomas comes back, he's not going to be 100%, as we've seen with high ankle sprains in the past few seasons. So that's a little worrisome. But again, he does have really nice weapons on the bench with Jared Goff and potentially Tua if he does ever get in this season. And then at running back, it was really nice to see Eckler getting the receiving work that he missed in week one. Um, again, we kind of touched on it in the last matchup. It's a little worrisome when the quote-unquote backup or the second running back in the death chart is getting more touches overall and rushes compared to Eckler, even though that's kind of what Eckler's job has been his whole career. Uh, he was always the number two complimentary guy, but without Gordon there, we're expecting him to step up. I'm a little worried personally, but again, he's been being really efficient even without touchdowns. So I'm happy to see that Kamara, it's just going to be an absolute beast. He's shown this game without Michael Thomas in the lineup, the saints are going to have to scoring get production from somewhere. Clearly that's going to be super Kamario. And then looking at Benny Snell, unfortunately it does look like the duckies missed the Snell window on Benny Snell pun. Absolutely intended um we saw connor come back onto the field look like what everybody was anticipating he would look like to begin the season look good looked like the workhorse and that's going to be a bite in the ass really for the duckies kind of what i touched on previously with the uh sharks potentially not moving madison in time this could be something that dan sees with snell as i know from hearsay he was offered a two for benny snell potentially so that would have been a really nice addition then moving into the wide receivers, Keenan Allen looked pretty good. Uh, it's going to be hard for any receiver to adjust from one quarterback to the other from week to week. We will see, it's already announced that Tyrod's going to be the starter of week three. So you'll see Allen go from Tyrod to Herbert to Tyrod back and forth. That's going to adjust timing and chemistry. Hopefully he continues to perform well. Justin Jefferson Again, we've kind of been spoiled after the past few years seeing Juju, um, DJ Moore, Scary Terry. Young receivers getting acclimated quick into the offense, but traditionally it does take a little while. So while a lot of people did have a lot of hopes for Justin Jefferson kind of taking over that Diggs role or the Diggs production, we haven't seen it yet. Maybe we'll see it in the future once Kirk Cousins learns how to throw the ball again. Cooper Cup, he did have a nice day overall, again, without any touchdowns, but that's okay. I do want to see more consistency, and that's something that we're scared about based on the Rams' offense. The Rams have shown that they're very fluid in terms of their game plan, looking for mismatches. And so whenever you see Cup against a secondary as bad as the Eagles, I'm sure he'll have his nice games. But as we saw from Tyler Higby, there's much better uh, mismatch in the linebacker core a lot of time. So we'll see Higby and Robert Woods get the majority, in my opinion. But as long as Hooper Cup can put up these type of performances, and again, I'm sure he'll find touchdowns occasionally, it's a nice option. And Sterling Shepard has been really underwhelming. And I think this is a worrisome point. Uh, With Saquon going out for the year, defenses going up against the Giants really aren't going to respect the running game or the play-action game, which is going to make it a lot harder i believe for these wide receivers to get separation to find openings and zones as they're just going to be more focused on the passing game in general so that's something you could worry about with Shepard and the rest of the giants receivers moving forward and then with austin hooper these browns weapons have shown that it's going to be a very hit-or-miss week for a majority of their uh, receiving weapons. One week could be the Landry show. As we saw on Thursday, it could be the OBJ show. Um, and I'm sure one week or two, you'll see the Hooper show. It's just going to be a lot of inconsistency, but I'm sure there'll be a nice high ceiling, kind of similar to what Higby had this week at some point. Um, we saw mediocre from the performance from the kicker. This Obviously, the Saints offense couldn't get going. And then losing Nick Bosa for the year obviously hurts. This defensive line was looking to be the best in the league. Absolutely top two. Without him, just going to take a quick look at the depth right now. It's Ryan Kerrigan, very good player. I'm not sure how high of a fancy output he can give. Bruce Irvin, same thing. So it's going to take definitely a dip. But when you still have Joey Bosa and Cameron Jordan to lean back on, it's still going to be above average uh, defensive line. The linebackers, After I believe he traded Miles Jack following this week. Is that correct, Aaron? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So if you look at the production outside of Miles Jack this week, I see two points combined from the starters, zero points from the bench. That depth is going to look really bad. And if you look across the way, as you mentioned, with the Spiders linebackers, Linebacker specifically, because of how many tackles they can rack up, could be the difference maker in a week, similar to like what you see from strong safeties, where they're just able to get involved into the play. You saw from Jenkins, uh, linebackers do the same thing, and so without the points coming from that, this could be a, a little bit of a rough year until he finds some really nice, consistent options there. And then the secondary, without B- Buda Baker having the nice week that we saw in week one, this really looked subpar to mediocre in terms of production from the secondary although his bench did leave up 29 points if i can do math which really hurts and in hindsight would have given them him the win if he started it properly it is what it is there but we do need to touch on some current events with certain teams and as we saw in the group me the duckies have declared that they are rebuilding looking to trade off assets so this is a plug for the Duckies, all you championship contender teams. He's already mentioned the players by name in Breeze, Eckler, Cup. Look to make your moves. He will not be moving Kamara, but go out there, get these pieces for the championship run and help this man contend after he traded away a first round pick and Scary Terry.
0: Yeah, I would love to make some moves for uh, players on this team, but Dan didn't name me specifically as a contender in the group me, so I'm not, I'm not invited.
1: Well, according to Jason, you aren't. So I think that's the guy you'll have to talk to.
0: Anyway, only thing I'll touch on with this team is that Bruce Irvin actually also tours ACL and is going to be out for the year. So that depth at the, you know defensive end is even more apparent now. He's really going to have to make some big moves in uh, the waivers this week and the coming weeks just to field a starting lineup. I mean, I know at this point he's looking to just kind of call it a year, but we do still have 11 more weeks after this. And you have to start a full roster of players each week. So Dan's going to have to do something about that. I mean, he has Todd Davis as a free agent. He might have to look to drop him just to pick up a decent body. But yeah, not the, uh, not the best start here for the Duckies. They uh, 0-4 start through two weeks. All right, for our third matchup of the week, we had the Honolulu High Tide defeating the Atlanta Sharks by a score of 189.5 to 172.25 and before i go into you know trends lineup for the week i think we just have to briefly talk about that huge trade that was made it was travis kelsey ty hilton david johnson and a couple other bench pieces for a package of Nicole hardman a first brendan nayuk and bruce arians um i'm i think there were some other like supplemental pieces that were in there but uh, but joe you just want to give a kind of a, your analysis on that real quick, since that's you know such a huge deal involving so many pieces.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to focus specifically, or I'm going to cut out the pieces that aren't as significant. We're going to really look at a uh, Trent getting David Johnson. Very nice piece to add to that running back core. T.Y. Hilton, not a big fan. Uh, we've seen throughout the first two games of the season, he's been on the decline. Maybe with Paris Campbell out, he can get a little more production back. Not still not a fan. And getting Travis Kelsey is pretty huge for this lineup in terms of getting the production there. And then essentially he got those for Chase Edmonds, Ayuk, Hardman, Alshon, Shaq Barrett, and a first. Quite frankly, I believe this is a steal for the high tide. From what I've heard, there was quite a few offers being thrown out there by the retrievers. And nearly all of them, if not all, were package deals, including these players. And so just some personal feedback or an opinion on it. I do believe that the Retrievers could have gotten more for these players, specifically if they were tried to be traded to championship contender teams individually. I think packaging them together was the wrong move. Clearly, I could be proved wrong, which I hope I am, just to make me look like more of an ass. But anyway, I believe as a fellow rebuilding team, this was not the way to go about it. I feel like he could have gotten a lot more because essentially he's looking at starting a Ayuk Hardman. I would expect him to start Shaq Barrett, but as we can get into later, he didn't. And the 2021 first, which is probably going to be a late one from the high tide anyway. So in hindsight, I think he could have got all that he got potentially for Kelsey and the bid dollars alone because that's all it's really worth but we're focusing on the high tide here and this was a great move for them
0: yeah i'm uh, i'm actually going to step in real quick and just defend the retrievers a little bit i'll agree that i think in a vacuum he could have traded away these you know older players and individually gotten more but if you look at the way that our picks are currently divvied up in the league uh you have five of the first round picks and nick has three and that only left Hunter with his own pick, the Wendigo's pick, and then Jabir and Trent had their own picks. And then the second round is just as uh, big a disparity as the Wendigo's have, I believe that's five. Dan, who is now rebuilding, has three. You have two, and then Cole has one. So there's very little uh, opportunity to acquire those premier uh, draft capital picks just given the the teams that have them aren't really looking to compete right now. And so... I understand that from a value perspective, Hunter lost it, but I do think that if he wanted to get all these players before they you know, died of old age on his roster, I can understand going out there and getting Nicole Hardman, who's had a lot of hype. He got Brendan Ayouke a first-round pick in the NFL this year and got that first-rounder for next year, and it very well could pan out for him, but I definitely do agree that this is you know, Trent just putting all his chips on the table and you know, going for that big move this year.
1: Yeah, and you give a really good perspective there. I completely agree with what you said. I think that's some really good insight. Just one quick thing I could throw in for uh, maybe potential moves in the future. I do believe this could have been a scenario where a third team gets thrown in the mix. One of those teams with a lot of picks for the first or second round. Uh, we saw it. I, I believe we've seen two, potentially three. Three team deals essentially work out in the history of the league so far. And a lot of times that's where the picks are involved. So that's just my two cents. I believe potentially you could see another one maybe later in the year, but I do believe this was a scenario
0: where that could have made the deal a little more close in my opinion. All right. With that out of the way, we can now start talking about the high ties performance this week. Uh, they came in fifth for scoring on the week, which was good enough to get them the two and uh stat line for the week. We talked about how Todd Gurley didn't do anything in terms of scoring in the Falcons Cowboys game, and that's because Matt Ryan was doing all the scoring. He put up four passing touchdowns, even added 16 rushing yards for a pretty pretty strong 32.52 points on the week. All right, moving along to these running backs. David Johnson, Trent wasted no time starting him, and he didn't really produce all that well. He put up an 11 for 34 stat line, but it was a very difficult Baltimore front seven, so I'm not going to, you know complain a huge amount there then Ronald Jones, he did put up a rushing touchdown, but he had a pretty inexcusable fumble. I believe it was in the second quarter. And from that moment on, I think Tom Brady probably went right up to Bruce Arians and said, get this trash can off the field, quote unquote. As Leonard Fournette dominated the touches from there out, we'll have to see if Ronald Jones can uh, work his way out of the doghouse there. And then Devin Singletary, we talked about how he looked kind of bad last week, but he put up a respectable 56 yards and 20 yards through the air on 12 touches you would hope you know in a even game script like he had against the uh, the dolphins that he'd be a little more involved but all in all it was an alright performance from this group at his receiving core he started three this week dk metcalf had that huge bomb against the, the patriots putting up 17.2 for the week this team was hampered by chris godwin being declared out with concussion And then I believe Devontae Adams had a hamstring injury during the game, so he only ended up with a 3-for-36 stat line. And then T.Y. Hilton didn't do a whole lot in his debut for the high tide, only putting up 4.3 points. You'd hope that those those receivers could do a little bit better given their veteran status. Travis Kelsey absolutely balled out in his debut, 9-for-90 and a 10-yard receiving touchdown. One of the best tight end performances on the week. And then O.J. Howard... I think Trent was trying to ride that magic from last week, and it did not pan out as he only had one reception for 11 yards. On the defensive side, a lot of big ballers here. Devin White, 11 tackles and a pass deflection, 15 points. Levante David, 6 tackles, 3 assists, a forced fumble, and a recovery, 11.5 points. Jamie Collins, 4 tackles and a sack, 9.5 points. Jordan Poyer, 4 tackles, 4 assists, a sack, 10 points. When you're getting that kind of production out of your, you know, defensive side of the ball, where a lot of people are only getting, you know, two to five points, it's going to be hard to lose, you know, many matchups at all. And so, just all in all, the high tide, I would say, had a very good week. I mean, sitting James Conner kind of hurts, but given that he was hurt and just looked really bad on a uh, week one, I don't dispute that start decision at all.
1: Yeah, and real quick, I want to touch again on his running backs, uh, David Johnson. If you look at the Texans' schedule, the first three weeks are actually really tough. I know you mentioned it, uh, going against a good front seven in Baltimore, and you'll see it again against Pittsburgh next week. It's just going to be rough. But especially after week three, the schedule gets much easier. So I anticipate David Johnson will have a much better time. Uh, The Houston Texans' offense as a whole will look a lot better. At least that's what I anticipate. Uh, Ronald Jones, again, with the work that he did have, he looked okay, but then, like you said, the fumble really hurts. So replacing him with Connor, they're kind of interchangeable. One week we saw Ronald Jones look good. Now it's James Connor. That's going to be a rough start. Sit, I assume he eventually rides with Connor if Fournette continues to see the dominance and touches. After that fumble, we'll see. And Devin Singletary, it's kind of a guy that we've harped on a lot. As you mentioned, his twelve touches for 76 yards that's really efficient and I know I threw that term around a lot last week but it was really nice to see despite a low 8.6 fantasy output he looked good and he looked efficient that's something he's going to need to continue if he wants to get more touches over the rookie Zach Moss in the backfield and then looking at his bench we see there's also a potential another starting running back coming off getting signed by the Giants what seems to be in Devonta Freeman This could be a really curious situation as they'll now have Wayne Gallman, Dion Lewis, and Devonta Freeman in the backfield. The question is, is that running back core going to turn into a committee or can Freeman dominate a majority of the workload? So that's something that competitors will have to monitor going against the high tide as well as Trent himself, especially in terms of start-sit decisions. This is a running back core that I believe the start-sit is going to get really tough, especially once the numbers cramp as uh, Chris Godwin comes back, and potentially he will be starting KJ Hamler if he sees work. Just overall, I think it's going to be a little bit of a few headaches for Trent moving forward, but that's always a good thing to have a lot of potential good starters on your roster. And then going into the Sharks, the opposite side of the matchup, starting right away, I'm really glad to see Brian Flores was not started this week. Congrats on starting Andy Reid-Jabir. Well done. Uh, Joe Burrow looked really good in that Thursday matchup. Progressively going through his reads, getting out of the pocket, getting away from pressure. When you have Miles Garrett coming at you, is impressive when you can just get away and turn the play into positive yardage. Looking at his running backs, this is not how I expected it to go. We saw Neam Hines get a majority of the workload in week one both running and passing even on the goal line however putting up one catch for four yards that's something that nobody was really going to expect especially in the passing game that again could be another headache in the start sit category looking at Zach Moss this was another guy who's looking right on Singletary's heels uh, getting those uh, majority of the touches however it did seem to be split 60 40, which is good for a rookie. But if Singletary continues to be efficient and look good, as we saw, Moss is going to stick to that 30 40% touch rate. And that's just not going to be good enough starting moving forward. And then with Dobbins, I don't know what to say at this point. I think he's clearly shown he has the home run potential, both receiving and rushing. He's just the more electrifying back, and it's going to be hard. For the ravens to let go of the reins on ingram and just let dobbins take grasp of this running back uh room so this is something where throughout the season we could see dobbins potentially work his way up in terms of touches we shall see it's been really questionable in terms of what to expect from the running back room specifically at the receiver position you talked about how the high tide started a veteran room The Sharks here, putting in the rookie Chase Claypool once again, pulling in that 84-yard receiving touchdown, that was a huge play. The uh, the deep threat is something that the Steelers were absolutely missing last year, both from the quarterback position to be able to get there, the offensive line to hold up, and obviously the receiver to get open and reel it in. And seeing that all come to fruition is really nice for the offense as a whole. I believe everyone in the offense benefits from that. And obviously Claypool is going to have this home run potential which is really nice for the Sharks. Tyler Lockett, there's not much more we can say. And then Preston Williams, this is a little bit questionable in terms of why he put up this production. But again, you're going against a good defense. So even if you are, some people say he's the 1B to Parker's 1A. I believe he is the wide receiver too, but still in a game where there are 28 points, you'd expect more. It is what it is. He's a good receiver. Hopefully he can get back on track. We will see moving forward. Now looking at this tight end room, which had an amazing week. And again, we get another matchup where we see two starting tight ends, where we didn't see it a lot last year. And now it seems to be a potential three or four teams every single week starting it, which is really nice to see the variance in strategy. Evan Ingram looked much better against the Bears, uh, pulling in six catches for 65 yards. That's a very respectable output for a tight end fantasy. Even though without a touchdown, he still was able to put up 9.5 points. He'll take that every week. And Tyler Higby. Man, thank God I started this guy in my DraftKings lineup. Give myself a little praise here. But he just, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he took advantage of those mismatches, lined up against safeties, lined up against the linebackers. He's just bigger than the safeties. He's faster than the linebackers. The Eagles had no idea what to do, especially once they got down the red zone, as he did pull in a four-yard and a three-yard touchdown catch, having three touchdowns on five catches. That was pretty incredible. And then you'll see throughout the week, there are quite a few teams uh, that had kickers giving large performances. You can see here from Justin Tucker putting in 16 points against the Texans. Very well done. On the defensive side of the ball, the only person I really want to touch on, I guess two. First is going to be Chase Young. Again, the dude's an absolute animal. Anytime you see somebody draft specifically a defensive lineman, I, we haven't seen a secondary uh, go in the top. 15 picks I believe in the rookie draft you're going to be worrying that can they put out that production or when will they and obviously Young's coming out right away with that amazing front seven that Washington is playing as this season and then looking at Kevin Biard he had a subpar week which you don't expect especially if the Jaguars are putting up 30 points you would think he would rack up a bit more tackles but when he does underperform kind of like Buda Baker I alluded to earlier, it does look like the secondary is more average than I was anticipating. And that was kind of the theme for the defense as a whole this week outside of Chase Young. But again, with those younger pieces and the star power he has, specifically in Lawrence, Chase Young, uh, and Kevin Biard, that should be good moving forward. Taking a quick look at his bench, we do see A.J. Brown was still injured. So once that comes back, I'm sure that one of these running backs will get sat. That could be nice looking for the Sharks moving forward. And if you look at the points left on the bench at defense, this really hurt the Sharks this week. You had a total of, man, I am so bad at quick math. 21, add four there, 25, another 31. Nearly four, over 40 points just in the secondary alone left on the bench. You had 23 and a half from the linebackers. Another almost 15, a little over, for the defensive line. So that's something where the Sharks can look moving forward to work on their start-sit decisions, as obviously you want to start your studs, but look for those matchups where you think they can do much better. But as long as the units as a whole are producing, that's a really good sign, especially for a team that is looking to reload as well, looking into the future.
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate just how many Star setter performances were left on the bench for uh, Jabir's defensive uh, lineup as a whole. I'm sure that next week he will start the guys that had big weeks and then watch them put up two points in the starting lineup next week. That's just how fantasy seems to go. Props to Jabir on starting Chase Claypool. He's just not my kind of receiver. I think that's one thing I've started to notice is that we all kind of prefer certain you know molds of receivers, and I'm definitely not a big play kind of receiver guy, but. Jabir took the risk. He started Chase Claypool, and two weeks in a row now, it has paid off. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he gets you know a little bit more involved as the weeks go on, as last week Deontay Johnson had a pretty good game for Pittsburgh, Juju in week one. Maybe you know it's kind of a different receiver every week. Maybe Chase Claypool will have his here and there. Definitely something to monitor.
1: Yeah, that's something that's I've seen more this year so far than in previous years is the style difference coming to fruition now that we've had the time to kind of build our teams through free agency, through the draft, uh, rookie drafts. You can see a lot of people showing their preferences for the high ceiling, low floor type of plays. Um, And obviously that'll depend on the opponent you're going against, what you want to go for, or the ones that want to look for the consistency and the steady output kind of that you mentioned with uh, Jason earlier in the episode.
0: Moving along to our fourth matchup of the week, and this was actually our highest scoring bout. We had the Los Angeles Wildfire putting up 233 points as they took down the Magicians who put up 220. So they both came away with a uh, top six performance. So they both at least got one victory. But Cole is now the lone 4-0 team in the league. And we're going to start off with him. Pretty quiet game from Lamar Jackson by his standards. I mean, he still put up 18.5 points, which you can't complain about. 16 rushes for 54 yards given Lamar Jackson's you know career yards per carry you'd expect a little bit better but this is just kind of you know I feel like the Ravens as an elite offense just every now and then you know you're always expecting to shoot out always expecting a ton of points but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way and this was just one of those weeks for the Ravens but I wouldn't worry about Lamar Jackson looking at running back it didn't even matter uh, Aaron Jones putting up a ridiculous 43.6 points, scoring three touchdowns, which the all the analysis this year said there's no way Aaron Jones can keep up with that touchdown pace he had last year. Well, putting up three in one game is definitely going to help you know, balance that out. Not going to touch on that at all. Um, Joe Mixon, I'm really worried about him. He, again, did not look very good this week. I mean, there were plays where he was fighting hard to try and get Past the uh, the Cleveland Browns front seven. But given that the Browns front seven isn't particularly impressive outside of Miles Garrett, it's pretty worrying that this is now two weeks in a row where Joe Mixon hasn't been all that involved, or you know, at least statistically. Even though, you know, you can blame the Bengals offensive line, Joe Mixon just signed a huge extension, so he's not going anywhere. So this is something I'm really concerned about. And then Jonathan Taylor. It might be possible that Cole didn't pay enough to get him, and Nick just sold at the most unfortunate time. He completely took over this backfield uh, week two, and you know he's kind of showing why he should have been respected as the number one back in the Dynasty community. He was uh, kind of the 1A, 1B with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and both have looked good, but so far, Jonathan Taylor has definitely cemented himself as the better of the two. With this wide receiving core, you can't really complain too much. It was very nice getting a solid uh, 15.4 from OBJ after a pretty disappointing week one. Uh, Marquise Brown was a lot quieter this week, and you wouldn't expect that given that the Texans don't have an elite cornerback, but again, just the whole offense kind of seemed out of uh, sync this week. Tyreek Hill bounced back pretty big from his week one where he was a touchdown away from being completely irrelevant, uh, scoring 19.3 points, and then Terry McLaurin is proving... All of his doubters wrong. Again, 7 for 125 and a 24-yard touchdown, uh, scoring 22 on the week. And he's quickly coming up as, you know, uh, I don't think he's top 12 yet, but he's got to be in that, you know, 14 to 20 range, uh, absolutely in that conversation. Cole had a big decision if he was going to start uh, Dallas Goddard or Hayden Hurst. And, of course, he started Dallas Goddard, which means that Hayden Hurst is the one that had the good week. Hayden Hurst putting up 15.7 on his bench. But again, Cole scored the most points in the league, so I don't think that it matters all that much. On defense, last week we talked about you know, which linebacker was Cole going to sit for Jerome Baker. Ended up being Demario Davis, who put up 8.5 points on his bench while Baker scored 3.5. Maybe Cole was a little overzealous in starting him off that huge week, but you can't really blame him. That was just a ridiculous performance week one. Jalen Smith putting up 12.5 and Landon Collins. Uh, He looked really bad, um, specifically on that DeAndre Hopkins touchdown early in the game week two. but he came back, got a sack, got an INT, and walks away with a 12-point performance. And, yeah, there's just really not a lot to criticize on this team. I mean, the defensive line was a little weak outside of Ryan Burns, but, again, this team put up 233 points. Can't really argue that.
1: Yep, and although the Magicians do end up going one-on-one on the week, they did look very well. Again, whenever you put up 220 points, it's really hard to complain, especially when your quarterback is dropping nearly 41 points. Uh, that was the absolute ceiling, in my opinion, for Dak Prescott, and the three rushing touchdowns did really carry the performance. Moving on to the running backs, we mentioned last week how Chris Carson, Dalvin Cook, Josh Jacobs all had very nice weeks. We expected Cook and Jacobs to continue looking very well, showing the consistency. Chris Carson kind of proves that he's not going anywhere in the receiving game. That's here to stay. He looked really good on the wheel route. They got him the touchdown. And Antonio Gibson finally getting more involved. He did see the 11-yard rushing touchdown, rushing 13 times for 55 yards, which is very respectable. Having that forehead running back core is absolutely a strength for this team. As realistically, having Antonio Gibson as your worst starting running back, having the high ceiling that he does there in Washington, this just looks really nice. I'm going to keep praising them after they were my favorite team coming out of week one. Moving on to the receivers, Stephon Diggs, proving the haters wrong, including myself, just looking absolutely phenomenal as the alpha dog there in Buffalo, looking like he's really in good sync with Josh Allen, which I will never complain about. but that was really nice. Robbie Anderson having another very respectable performance, putting up nine catches for 109 yards, which is very nice, especially against a Tampa Bay secondary. That was expected to be much better after seeing a very nice progress at the end of last year and then drafting some more help on in the secondary in this past offseason. And Jarvis Landry, I mentioned earlier with Hooper that the Cleveland wide receivers and tight ends have shown that. One person seems to have the dominating week or the very nice fantasy week and the rest are lagging behind. Unfortunately for Devin, this week was Jarvis's week to sit down. That's going to be the one position on this team that, that I see having inconsistencies. Noah Fant with Cortland Sutton out for the rest of the year. This is going to be a stat line that I expect moving forward. The four to five catches, 50 or so yards, and every once in a while dropping a touchdown or two. We saw that against a very good Pittsburgh defense. So, if he can do it against Pittsburgh, he can do it against anyone. He wasn't getting any mismatches, especially against the linebacker court. So, clearly, he can do it against some of the best. Anyway, we'll look at the defense. Zach Cunningham absolutely balled out with five, ta- or five assisted tackles, 10 tackles, and a sack, dropping 16 and a half points. Marlon Humphrey getting six tackles and assist, half a sack, and a force fumble for 10 points. Overall, those were the two big ballers on defense. Everyone else really had a subpar week, that's not something that you anticipate looking at the talent that he is starting. Subpar to average performances seem to be the way the magicians are going to go on defense. Maybe if he continues to make moves to get better, he'll look for some uh, high-quality names on the defensive side of the ball to kind of shore that up. Because really, there aren't too many holes in this team, and I'm just going to keep praising them. I feel like a little fangirl, especially once Kenny Galladay comes back.
0: It's definitely a huge blow to this team to lose Cortland Sutton after trading, you know, Melvin Gordon, who, while he was limited running back, um, I'm sure that he'd prefer to have Gordon on the bench and possibly trade him instead of having Cortland Sutton, who's not done for the year. Um, And this team's just kind of in a spot where they're going to have to get a little little exotic to improve their team. You know, he went out and he traded for Miles Jack, which will definitely bolster his linebacking corps. Yeah, it's going to just be something Devon's going to have to think about, you know, how can he... Take all these pieces that he has and try to, you know, bolster his chances to compete this year. All right, for our fifth matchup of the week, we had the Pine Grove Grovers coming away with a, you know, another 200 point effort, putting up 206 to Hunter's 150.5. I'm gonna skip right past QB at first and just go right to running back. Uh, we talked last week about how the loss of Marlon Mack was gonna affect this team. He just lost Saquon Barkley with a torn ACL for the year. Uh, this is pretty catastrophic for a team that was a couple of points away from winning the championship last year and is now in a spot where outside of Zeke Elliott, you're stuck now starting either Sonny, Michelle or Dion Lewis every week. And it's even worse because I don't necessarily know how Dylan can go out there and get another running back. Um, Darren Waller and Hunter Henry, maybe he looks to move one of them, but the rest of his pieces, he's kind of locked in for a title run this year um, unless he ops to move saquon barkley dare i say it i just don't know if this team still has it in them to run for a championship this year definitely going to be a big week for the grovers to kind of do a little bit of a self-eval and you know ask where they're at at this point zeke elliot though he did his work you know put up 18.2 points and then i will circle to back to the qb position and Rodgers, the green bay put up 42 points but given that aaron jones did most of that work Rodgers wasn't as necessary this week, only putting up 20.8, but that's still, you know, pretty respectable performance. And then this week, Dylan only went with three receivers, but they all played really well. Um, Amari Cooper had 100 yards. Mike Evans had 100 yards and a touchdown, you know, coming off that abysmal week one. And then Julian Edelman, eight for 179. Uh, I sure as hell did not see that coming. So it's very, very surprising that Cam was uh, looking his way as much as he did. And then. As mentioned, Dylan did start both those star tight ends. Darren Waller absolutely uh, demolished the Saints. It didn't matter who was guarding him, whether it was Malcolm Jenkins or P.J. Williams or the linebackers. Uh, They all just could not hang with him whatsoever. And then Hunter Henry, not to get too overshadowed, uh, did put up 83 yards on six receptions for a respectable 11.3 on the defensive side. All of his safeties put up double-digit points, and he had... One linebacker and a defensive lineman do the same. And when you're getting, you know, 50 plus points from the defensive side, in addition to, you know, the supplemental points the rest of his uh, core was scoring, you're in store for a great week. But obviously, this great week is, you know, overshadowed by that huge news of losing Saquon Barkley.
1: Yeah. Looking back at his receivers, just real quick point it's really nice when you can depend on Amari Cooper and Mike Evans to be the wide receiver one for their team. I believe Evans is going to continue to be that even when Godwin comes back. Evans is the nice deep threat. So having those two in in combination is nice. And then with Julian Edelman, I know you sounded a little surprised, but one thing that I expect moving forward uh, for the Patriots offense are these deep play or these deep shots as you saw Jamal Adams kind of creep up to try and help stop the run specifically from cam newton where they need to load the box and don't let him get steam and that's going to create a lot of opportunities for these receivers whether it's edelman bird or harry to take these deeper shots or look to get run after catch on these passes and so you could see edelman put up these numbers quite a few more times the rest of the season if defenses keep focusing on newton and the run game and then Moving on to the Retrievers' run game. As we saw with the Grovers losing Barkley for the year, McCaffrey does suffer an ankle injury. I can't remember the exact specifics, but I know he will be out for several weeks. That really hurts, as outside of McCaffrey, these Retrievers really only have the starting running back for the Rams, if he guesses correctly. As we saw, Darrell Henderson get a large majority of the workload last week, and we saw Malcolm Brown get a majority of it week one. So that'll be some really tough start-sit start, decisions for the retrievers. Looking at quarterback, Minshew looked good, especially against a really nice defense in Tennessee. It's really nice to see Minshew doing well now. There was a lot of criticism over the offseason that regardless of how Minshew performs that since the Jaguars are going to be so bad and be at the top of the draft come the end of the year, they're going to be a contender for Trevor Lawrence. But if Minshew continues to look good and somehow keep Jacksonville in these games and potentially squeaking out a few wins, I think he's going to work his way into maintaining his job, which is going to be really nice moving forward. Looking at the receivers, we said uh, Fuller got injured, although he didn't really get injured until I, I believe it was the second quarter actually. And so it was really weird that he didn't put up a lot or anything in the first half, comes back after halftime and plays the second half and still doesn't put up anything. Again, we did mention that Baltimore has a really nice defense, but that is definitely concerning whether as while he was healthy in the first half or even playing injured in the second wasn't able to do anything. McCall Hardman, again, we mentioned before, is going to be a boomer bust candidate. Deontay Johnson, this was a guy who despite getting a lot of targets week one, didn't necessarily get the production to match it. And now in week two, we did see this nice game coming in flow with the targets, having eight catches for 92 yards and a touchdown. A lot of commentators and broadcasters for the games have been making comparisons more for Deontay Johnson to the Antonio Brown-esque style, something where he's able to weave in and out of zones get across on the flats it get open and turn them into big plays running after the catch and that's something that big ben really likes especially when he extends the play so that could be something that's really nice for deontay johnson moving forward now for anthony miller we do see a second goose egg from the wide receiver position and this definitely hurts especially when you could have started potentially jerry judy putting up eight points or valdez scantley scantling nearly putting up eight points and looking specific at jerry judy i know i mentioned earlier That Noah Fant could potentially be the main beneficiary from Cortland Sutton being out the remainder of the year. But Jerry Judy has just as much claim to those missing targets and missing receptions as Noah Fant. So, moving forward, if Judy can continue to be as crisp and precise on his route running and his release as he's been hyped up and as he he has performed so far this year, that could be a really nice piece for this team this year and moving forward. Very nice pick. Chris Herndon, another tight end who was heralded in the offseason as a guy who could potentially break out this coming year. I'm under the belief that anyone under Adam Gase at this point is just unplayable because when they do have the nice weeks, you're going to get hyped and you're going to get disappointed. It's just inevitable. Or they just don't have the big weeks at all. So that's just very scary. It's a good tight end at this rate in dynasty. It could just be a potential stash hoping that Adam Gase gets out of the way after they lose quite a few more games this coming season. And then finally he can shine, which would be nice for a rebuilding roster. And then on defense, we saw a nice week from Eric Kendricks, putting up 12 and a half points, Brian Poole putting up six tackles and a pass deflection for eight points. Overall, this was a very underwhelming week from the retrievers defense. And just one thing I want to touch on, he did start Matt Milano who was ruled out on Friday. And this was kind of surprising, especially after making the deal to go get uh, Shaq Barrett. And this was completed on Thursday. So you would think seeing a deal done on Thursday, having a player ruled out on Friday, you have enough time to switch it. But I know we all make mistakes and accidentally uh, start an inactive player. So it is what it is. But overall, this team does have some nice bright spots with having... Whoever the Rams go as a starter, if he does guess correctly, it's going to look really nice. And then having Jerry Judy on the bench who's going to eventually come in and play well, having him Deontay Johnson, he does have some very nice pieces moving forward.
0: yeah, let this just uh, serve as an early reminder this year to double check those lineups. you know Sunday morning. you know once in a while it can happen, but it is in the rules that you got to start that full twenty man lineup every week. So just keep that in mind, everybody. but yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this team. Just a um, little bit of a disappointing week, and you just hope that uh, things bounce in his favor, you know, in the coming weeks. All right, and then last but not least, we have the Boston Clams coming out with a very surprising 228 points, defeating the Omaha Hawks, who put up a respectable 188.48. Looking at Joey's roster, Josh Allen doing what he does, just scoring a ton of fantasy points, and he actually looked pretty impressive. There were definitely some throws that were still Josh Allen level, but, man, some of the throws that he was making was just looked like a eight-, nine-year veteran out there. Uh, maybe he's kind of turned the corner in year three. Looking at your running backs, all of them had really good weeks. You know, Melvin Gordon had the worst at 15.4 points, but your other two running backs both scored over 20 apiece. Definitely nice to get that kind of production out of that group, which we just last week said was uh, a little bit weak. At receiver, it definitely hurts. You know, you get one good week out of Paris Campbell, and then now he's out with an MCL sprain. Thankfully, it wasn't a torn ACL as originally thought, and so he should only be out for a couple weeks, but definitely kind of hurts to have that, you know, that hype taken away so quickly. DJ Moore bounced back from a kind of a disappointing week one, putting up eight for 120. And then Juju, in turn, kind of fell back to earth a little bit. I mean, he still had seven receptions, but on just 48 yards, you'd really like to see more out of him in that kind of performance. On the bench, Nikhil Harry had a good week, but given the guys that you started, I don't think that it would have been very you know, logical to start Nikhil Harry. I would like to see more kind of consistent production, given how last year went for Harry, before I'm comfortable putting him in my starting lineup. And then looking at tight end, Mike sicky. End of last year he had a really, you know, strong end to the year. Came out a little weak in week one, but blew up here in week two, putting up eight for one thirty as well as a receiving touchdown. And everyone loves to talk about how tight ends typically take two to three years to kinda mature in the NFL. Um, I think that we might be seeing Mike Kosicki rounding out his game and developing into a, you know, top twelve-ish tight end. Um definitely looking forward to seeing him kind of Expand on that role in the coming weeks. Blankenship, again, we talked about how several kickers had huge weeks this week, and Blankenship was no exception, putting up 15. And then, huge game from TJ Watt on the defensive side, putting up 13 points with two and a half sacks. And then, even Harold Landry and Devin Bush putting up respectable seven and a half points. A little bit weak on the defensive side, as Josh Allen put up a big goose egg, and Derek Barnett put up Uh, one and a half points but the rest of you guys put up pretty pretty solid points overall and like I said with Cole if you're putting up nearly 230 points in a week uh, there really isn't too much to complain about
1: yeah just some real quick talking points I knew Juju was gonna have a really bad week Uh, not bad but a really tough one Uh, I watched the Denver game week one and Kareem Jackson actually looked really good and I knew they're gonna man him up against Juju so I wasn't very surprised by that I did a lot of flipping in terms of my uh, start sit for wide receivers. At one point I had Juju sitting at one point I had DJ Moore. at one point. I almost had both sitting. Um, I was contemplating starting Harry or Darius Slayton or LaVisca Chenault. But again, when you have those options, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. And now when we do see Campbell go down, I still have those three options on the bench. So that's very good. And then my depth at, IDP, but uh, specifically linebacker, is feeling really good. Having Bostic have a 10-point week. Hitchens dropping an 8-point week. Terrell Edmonds, my third stealer for IDP, dropping 8.5 points. It's just very nice to see this depth coming in. But like you said, on the defensive line, I am feeling very weak. So that might be something I look to address moving forward. And then for the Omaha Hawks, again, put up the very respectable 188. 0.5 essentially, Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes does, drops 28.5. I think a big talking point this week is going to be Raheem Mostert going down to injury. Uh, what exactly was the in- injury?
0: I think it was a knee injury. Uh, I don't think they've determined how long he's going to be out for.
1: Gotcha. I was going to say, I didn't think I saw that yet. But especially if it's with the knee or if it was the uh, ankle, either one, uh, that's going to be quite a few weeks. I would assume in the four to eight range. And that's going to hurt this roster specifically, as they really only have James White now to lean on. And he's not even going to get a bulk of the workload. So that's going to be a real detriment to this running back core. And quite frankly, if the Hawks want to compete this year, they're going to have to go out and get somebody. And as we mentioned before with the Grovers, they might be looking to do the same. So those could be two teams potentially that end up getting in a bidding war over someone which i'm going to be curious to see how it folds out again another little plug i would expect either of those teams to be potentially reaching out to either the duckies who said they're looking to sell off or even potentially the uh, wildfire who may feel a little down on joe mixon we will see where that goes looking at the receivers john brown put up a very nice week i don't know whether we need to expect Diggs and Brown to have nice weeks every week moving forward, or if they're just coming out to a hot start. Hopefully, for the Hawks, he can continue this. Uh, Lazard, again, got the majority of the snaps. Doesn't necessarily have the big play potential that Veldez Scantling has, but I did see actually a report coming out today that... Uh, Devontae Adams might not be playing in week three. It's actually looking unlikely. So we could potentially see Alan Lazard slide in to that wide receiver one position for Aaron Rodgers. So that could be really nice, especially if he signs or shines once in that position. Uh, Scott Miller and Emmanuel Sanders. I want to get these disappointments out of the way. These were two where they both receivers had a very nice opportunity presented to them due to injury and neither one of them capitalized scoring a combined. 4.5 points i expected much more out of them as his opponent and i'm sure ryan did as well and then calvin ridley man he's having an absolute monster start to this season and i know it's been kind of a joke that julio jones just doesn't catch touchdowns but seriously it seems like calvin ridley's just siphoning them at this point dropping seven catches for 109 yards and two receiving touchdowns and one in the red zone for three yards that just if he continues to put up this, he is the wide receiver one right now in fantasy, which I looked and saw earlier. That's just absolutely crazy, especially when you're behind uh, Julio Jones to be able to do that. So that's some that's a really nice piece for the Hawks. Um, TJ Hawkinson is putting up very respectable performances, especially with uh, Kenny Galladay out. We will see once Galladay comes back if he can continue that. We did see him start out hot last year and kind of die off a little bit. So we will see if he can finally slide in to some consistency now that he's continuing to get some rapport with Stafford. Uh, Bucker put up a very nice performance, 12 points. You expect that out of the Chiefs kicker. Then on defense, another above average week uh, from his entire defensive side of the ball. Uh, Trey Hendrickson putting up five tackles and a sack for 10 points. Patrick Queen putting out another nice eight-point performance. Micah Hyatt, eight and a half. And then everybody else putting up really, respectable numbers between the four to eight range, which when you can get this consistency from your defense, it's nice to have that to lean on to. And then looking at his bench, Adam Humphreys had a very nice week, five catches, nearly fifty yards and a touchdown. Even Steven Sims got involved, having three catches for fifty three, which was nice. So he does have a few pieces on defense or on offense on the bench that he potentially could start. I was shocked that uh, Sammy Watkins only had one catch for eleven yards. But moving forward, he, this team's going to really need a running back, and I'm not quite sure where he's going to look, but I expect to see that done in the next few weeks, because I know Ryan's very on top of his game in terms of transactions.
0: Yeah, it's a little tough looking at this roster, I'm kind of trying to find where a running back would come from. I mean, you could say he could potentially try to cash out on Calvin Ridley, but I know Ryan loves Ridley, and... I mean, he's putting up back-to-back huge games. Maybe this isn't even his ceiling. Maybe he just continues to uh, excel. But he's going to have to find somebody, or else he's going to be stuck starting Matt Breida and uh, LaShawn McCoy. Although Gus Edwards actually somehow ended up with the most yards on the Ravens this week, uh, because that's just how football works. But no, it it was a solid week from the Hawks, although I am hoping that the stat corrections go my way. Um, if I can sneak my way into that sixth slot that Ryan's currently occupying, um, I'll definitely take it. That's gonna wrap us up here. Um, we've gone through all the games, kind of given our given our insights and you know given a little bit of a taste into week three. Um, I know that it was proposed to kind of do half a recap, half preview, but as of right now, the way that people are setting their lineups, you know, on Fridays and Saturdays, um, it's kind of tough to do that. maybe, that's something we can look into in the future and maybe readjusting the schedule for recording the pods. But as of right now, we're just going to, at least over the next couple of weeks, kind of keep this same formula going. With that being said, you got anything else, Joey? Um,
1: nothing else reflecting on the past week. As you said, we'll kind of give a little touch into what we anticipate. I'm looking really forward to seeing the moves that are made. I know it was a very depressing week seeing a ton of injuries across the league. It just was a very depressing theme. But it's hard to say that I'm excited because of the injuries because that makes me feel inhumane. But I am excited to see how the fantasy owners in our league look to make transactions to improve, whether that be we mentioned uh, the Grovers because of the Saquon Barkley injury making moves, whether it be moving Saquon or moving other pieces, potentially the Hawks looking for the running back. And I'm sure we mentioned plenty of others. Uh, do we see the wildfire move Nixon after a depressing two-week performances and potentially no bright side at the end of the tunnel? So that's going to be what I'm looking forward to. I'm glad we could get you guys another review and look forward to week three.
0: Sounds good. Uh, and with that, I think we're out of here. So good luck, everybody, in the uh, upcoming week.
1: Later, nerds.